reading of the same. The Lord's name is to be praised. Friends, welcome to Morrisville Presbyterian Church on this Trinity Sunday. Sunday. Whether you are a longtime member or visiting with us for the very first time, whether you are worshiping from home today or worshiping with us in our sanctuary, we welcome you. It is a joy to be worshiping with you this day. If you are present in our sanctuary, there is a familiar red folder that we would ask for you to fill out. You don't even need to pass it to your neighbor because there should be two in your pew, but that will help us to be aware of those who are here so we can uh, be in touch with you if the need should arise. This weekend in our country, we give thanks for the many men and women who have given their lives for our country so that we may gather freely in this place to worship today. And as we worship today, we gather friends to worship the triune God. What a privilege it is to be a part of God's church, to be a part of God's work in this world, even and especially friends today. Let us worship God together. Let us call upon the name of God this day by reading responsively the call to worship as found in your bulletin. Give thanks to the Lord, for God is good. Thy fast love endures forever. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of the glory of God. Let us worship God together. Beloved church, our God is holy, our God is mighty, our God is gracious, and our God is merciful. On this Trinity Sunday, let us take the opportunity to reorient ourselves back to God and confess our sins using the prayer of confession as it is printed in your bulletin followed by a time for silent confession. Holy triune God, we confess that we have not lived for your glory. You come to love and save the world, but we condemn others in your name. You send us out to tell good news, but we hide from our calling in fear. Forgive us, God of grace, Give us new life in your spirit so that we may serve you faithfully and live as your beloved children through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, the God who challenges us is also the God who encourages us. The God who comforts us is also the God who accepts us. Be assured that God is with us even now, accepting, guiding, and forgiving. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Amen.
Good morning, young friends and young at heart friends. I have been talking with some of your parents lately, and we are hoping that we are going to be able to find wonderful ways for you to start joining us in the sanctuary again very soon. A couple of you have trickled in here from time to time. I know many of you have joined us from home, but we're excited to create ways for you to feel safe and come worship with us here in the sanctuary again. And I want you to know that as you and your families come and join us back in worship, all of us here in the sanctuary, all of us here are going to help to continue to keep you safe. And one way we're going to do that is we're going to continue to keep our distance. We're even going to invite you up here for the Time for Young Disciples, but we will keep our distance from one another. We'll be able to wave to one another. But part of the problem in the church when we have to keep our distance so often is we want people to know we love them and we care about them. And that's hard when we just want to run up and hug people sometimes. So part of what we are going to do, and we've done this before, but we're going to get used to doing this a lot more often, perhaps even every Sunday. We haven't been able to pass the peace in a while in this church, and that is because we always shake hands and we touch one another, and for a year that has been a problem. But you know what? The beautiful thing is we can still do that, and we don't even need to touch one another. We've done this before. In American Sign Language, we have learned how to share the peace of Christ with one another. And as a whole congregation, as you all at home who are learning this with me and all of us here, we're going to learn how to do this so we can all continue to keep one another safe and especially to keep you safe as you begin to join us back in worship. So I'm going to remind you how we do this today. It's usually after the part of worship that Pastor Alex just led. After we confess our sins and we celebrate God's forgiveness, we share that peace with one another. And it goes like this. Peace be with you. You take your hands, almost like a little fan in front of you, and you twist them and turn your hands. Peace, and it's almost like you're spreading out a blanket. That's peace. Peace be with, and you bring your fists together, you. I don't know if you can see, but everyone here is practicing with me right now. So I bet you're practicing at home, too. We're going to do it one more time, and then I'm going to remind you how to do, well, I'll do it now. And also with you, you put your pinky and your thumb out, and you do from yourself to someone else, and also with you. So that's an easy way to remind people also with you. But at first, we share the peace of Christ be with you, and also with you. And so, friends, we are going to do that again one more time today, but I share that because we are so excited to welcome you back. Every time we have been back in worship the last few weeks, someone has been here who hasn't been here in such a long time. And it has been a joy to see them and to welcome them. And especially as you return to us, we want to continue to keep you safe, but to always remind you how much we love you and care about you and that the peace of Christ is with you and also with you. 
So let's offer a prayer together and give thanks for that. And then I'm going to ask everyone here to turn around to someone in the sanctuary, maybe even stand up and turn around and share the peace of Christ. But let's pray together first. God, we thank you. You can repeat after me. I didn't do that well. God, we thank you that we can greet one another with your peace. and still do so safely. Help us to share your peace with everyone we meet. Amen. If you are here in our sanctuary or at home, stand up, turn around, share the peace of Christ with someone else. Please be seated. Friends, we give thanks for the ways that God acts in new ways and reveals God's self to us. So as we approach a time now for the hearing of Scripture, let us prepare our hearts and minds in prayer. Let us pray. Holy triune God, whose mystery and glory are great. Grace us into your veil of knowledge and wisdom and reveal your word for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Our scripture passage this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Listen for the word of the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him, each had six wings, with two covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet. And with two they flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me! I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed, and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, when you read an article at the beginning of the week and you can't shake it and it is with you all week long, it inevitably comes out in the sermon for the week. And so I will name right now that I owe much and have gleaned much from Scott Hazy this week, who has inspired much of our sermon today. Let us pray together again. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us and use us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. And to that end, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I was talking with a friend of mine this week who lives in Kansas. And as we do these days, I imagine you have done the same. We talk with friends or family. We begin dreaming about all the places we'll go, all the things we'll see when this pandemic is finally fully behind us. And my friend, again, who lives in Kansas, she told me that next summer, she's already slated to be speaking for two weeks at a major church conference in the mountains of North Carolina. And she said, you know, I think while we're out there, we'll just tag on a good, a good family trip to Disney World, too. I said, Kelly, you do know that Orlando would be about a nine or ten hour drive from the mountains of North Carolina, right? And she laughed, knowing that the Midwest had gotten her again, and she said, oh, right, I just assume if it's on the East Coast, it's a lot closer together. British writer N.T. Wright used to experience this a lot when his family lived for a while in Montreal, Canada. They often had British visitors, and those British visitors would often propose impossibly long trips in the mistaken impression that North American geography was as compact as Europe. We're in Chicago. We, We could stop by San Francisco tomorrow, right? Maybe circle back through Houston? on our way home, see what Texas is all about. So Dr. Wright bought a map of Canada, which actually had an inset labeled England on the same scale. This happened so often, he bought a map. And so on the side of the big map of Canada, British visitors could see that the whole of England was smaller than the province of Ontario alone. But just imagine the reverse, Wright once observed. Suppose you were in England with the same kind of map showing North America on the same scale. Well, if you had a full-size map of Britain 
with the same size scale of North America on the side, you would have to fold the map out and out and out and out until it almost filled the entire room and so dwarfed the map of England to which it stood in same scale comparison. Something like that happened to Isaiah in our text today. You see, it was the year that King Uzziah died, or it was the year that JFK died, or it was the year 9-11 sent terror through the world, or a year a global pandemic rattled the globe and life as we knew it. It was the year when things fell apart, when foundations were shaken, markets crumbled, when all that had once been familiar now seemed long ago and far away. It was the year King Uzziah died, and it was a rough time, a shaky time, a frightening time. Isaiah knew it. He felt it deep in his bones, as did all the people of Israel. But amidst the chaos of those days, Isaiah, Isaiah, who had probably been as preoccupied with the world's news and events as anyone else in Israel, Isaiah's eyes were lifted one day toward heaven. And Isaiah had a powerful vision. It was a vision that for Isaiah changed everything because up until this point, up until this point, everything about King Uzziah, everything that had constituted normal everyday life was extremely important. All of it seemed large and all-consuming until Isaiah saw God lifted on high on God's throne. And then suddenly all of Isaiah's perceptions and priority, priorities, his ideas of what was important and what was not, all of it was shattered and realigned. Suddenly in the shadow of the Most High God, Isaiah felt unworthy, unclean and sinful. He felt small. He felt insignificant, all compared to the majesty of the Lord. And when he looked around him at the world, he realized that the rest of society, like him in the light that was streaming upon him from God's throne, he knew that all of it, himself included, all of it was so, so unclean, so messed up, so small. And sinful. And so without hesitation, without thinking it through, because it seemed like the only reasonable thing to do, Isaiah began to confess. Woe is me! I am lost. I am undone. He cried out the truth of his condition, the truth of his broken humanity in the shadow of this great and majestic God, and God forgave him. God cleansed him with fire, and then God gave him a job to do. 
I'll tell you, it wasn't the world's happiest assignment. After all, Isaiah was told to go tell the people of Israel that they were done for. I'm reminded of the words of Frederick Beekner, who said, A prophet's quarrel with the world is deep down a lover's quarrel. If they didn't love the world, they probably wouldn't bother to tell it that it's going to hell. They'd just let it go. Their quarrel is God's quarrel. Because God so loved the world that like an angry, frustrated mother who's mad at her son, son, you better shape up. I brought you into this world. I'll take you out just the same. God so loved the world, God had words for God's people. Isaiah was just the messenger. But God predicted up front that the people would not listen. They wouldn't listen, God said, because at the end of the day, despite the love they knew from God, they didn't want to see their lives on the same scale as God's majesty and grandeur. At the end of the day, they wouldn't listen because they refused to let themselves feel small and lowly and lost, standing before God's throne. And Scott Hazy asked over and over in my head this week, how often are we guilty of the same? He speaks pointedly to the church when he says something like this needs to happen every time, every time, every time we gather for worship. We need to feel God's love, yes, but we also need to feel our smallness before God. To feel our lowliness, we need to stand in the shadow of the God of the universe and know that we are lost without God. Because within the triune God, whom we worship and honor today, there is awesomeness. There is majesty, there is grandeur, the likes of which we cannot even begin to appreciate or understand. There is nothing like an encounter with the divine to shatter our self-centeredness and bring us to our knees in lament. But Hazy asks, are we willing to go there? Are we willing to stand in the same shoes Isaiah stood in, looking at the great expanse of God and crying out, Woe is me, I am undone. We may not always be willing, but in worship we are asked to try. It's why in our worship we make space for awe-inspired silence, for reverence, for humility. It's why each week we take time to confess our sins. 
Well, we don't do it to induce guilt. We don't do it because it's something we've always done, nor is it something which we would just remove if we took a survey and people decided they didn't like it because it made them feel bad. We take time to confess because when we glimpse the true God of all holiness and then look back at our lives in that light, we recognize just how sinful and small we really are. We see things that are wrong and misaligned. We see priorities that need adjusting, words and actions that need melting and molding, habits that need to be broken, selfishness that needs to be burned away. As Scott Hazy puts it, it's a little like asking someone, do I have any lint on the back of my suit? And the person says, you know, I can't really tell. Step over into this light so I can see. And suddenly the lint you couldn't see before shows up in that light. So also here, once we step into the light of God's majesty and God's grandeur, things show up we hadn't ever been willing to notice before. New needs are discovered. New brokenness revealed. New priorities set. We can see them and name them and thus be sent into the world in a new way. That is at least in part what worship should do for us. Because believe it or not, we don't come to worship just to have our so-called felt needs met, but also to find out just what our needs really are, what our needs should be. We don't come to buddy up with a God who is on the same scale as us. We come to encounter the living God in ways that make us into the kind of people God wants and needs in this world. It's pretty ironic, though, because we don't mind pretty regularly being told our lives don't measure up. We don't mind our TVs or magazines or social media feeds bombarding us with reminders that we need to upgrade our lives that our cell coverage could be better, or our faces could look younger, or we could drive an SUV up the side of a mountain if we just bought the right one. We don't seem to mind how often we're told that our lives are more shabby, less shiny than they could be. But we are often reluctant to let the God of the universe mold us and shape us into the people God calls us to be. We are reluctant at times to see a time of confession as necessity before the grandeur of God and instead see it at times 
as an unnecessary part of worship because it makes us feel a little icky. I can't tell you how often I hear, I just want to come to worship to feel good. The good news is that happens sometimes, perhaps even a lot of the time. The bad news is, if that's all that ever happens, one could legitimately wonder just what God is getting encountered in worship. Is it the one Isaiah saw? High and lifted up, the one whose grandeur challenges us to become different people, the one whose gift of forgiveness draws us into service in God's kingdom? Or is it the one we have fashioned for ourselves? Low and manageable, within the scope of our little lives on earth. N.T. Wright notes, what if while we were casually looking around at one another in the sanctuary one week, suddenly someone showed us God on the same scale? What if someone could flip open the roof of the sanctuary like a child's dollhouse, maybe open up on a hinge so that we could glimpse the God of all glory, high and lifted up, such a vision would unmake us. It would rattle us to our core, make us feel small and puny and undeserving of anything and everything. That is what happened to Isaiah that day. Everything else in the world, everything else in his life, everything else that had previously been occupying Isaiah's mind shrank down in comparison to the vision of God on God's holy throne. For those of you who've read C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you'll remember the fictional character Aslan the Lion. For those of you who don't know, Aslan is often compared to our biblical understanding of God in Jesus Christ. And in one of my favorite scenes, the children are asking Mr. and Mrs. Beaver about Aslan the lion. Is he quite safe? Asks Susan, I, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie. And make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe? Asked Lucy. Safe? Said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you.
safe? Of course God isn't safe. Our church pews should come with seat belts before they come with cushions. But God is good. God is so, so good. And so even if we, like Isaiah, feel utterly helpless, even if our knees are knocking and we see in the light of God's goodness every broken and sinful part of our lives, if we're willing to do all of this in the hands of the living God, the one who is good, the one who is love, the one who is grace, the one who is our beginning and our end, then there is no safer place we could ever be. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us give affirmation to this triune God who fills our lives, our sanctuary, our universe. I invite you to stand and let us read together the affirmation of faith as found in the, your bulletin. We trust in God, the Holy Spirit, everywhere the giver and renewer of life, the Spirit justifies us by grace through faith, sets us free to accept ourselves and to love God and neighbor, and binds us together with all believers in the one body of Christ, the Church. The same Spirit who inspired the prophets and apostles rules our faith and life in Christ through Scripture, engages us through the word proclaimed, claims us in the waters of baptism, feeds us with the bread of life and the cup of salvation, and calls women and men to all ministries of the church. In a broken and fearful world, the Spirit gives us courage to pray without ceasing, to witness among all peoples to Christ as Lord and Savior, to unmask idolatries in church and culture, to hear the voices of people's long silence, and to work with others for justice, freedom, and peace. In gratitude to God, empowered by the Spirit, we strive to serve Christ in our daily tasks and into lively and joyful life, even as we watch for God's new heaven and new earth, praying, come, Lord Jesus. Please be seated. We have the, heard the word of God read and proclaimed. And we have affirmed that faith. Now let us meditate upon these words as we listen 
to the hymn, Send Me Jesus. As we gather this day, let us come to God in prayer. Knowing our God will hear our prayers as we come with a clean heart. Let us pray. Our eyes have witnessed the glory of your presence, almighty and everlasting God. We have seen you in our lives, in our universe, in our nation. Give us an understanding today of the praise and prayer worthy of your glory and fitting to our faith. May what we do this day be what you deserve and what we need. We are so grateful that in this church many people have gained an awareness of your purpose such that it energizes our service and builds our community. We pray now that we may not be rebellious to this vision, but live it out in every relationship Yet by your spirit, which is holy, whole, complete, lacking nothing, our minds and our hearts can be made clean and renewed in this life of faith. Eternal God, we remember this day all who have faithfully lived and proudly died we give you thanks for all blessed memories and all enduring hopes, and for all the heroic members of the military who encompass us like a cloud of witnesses. We pray that we who have entered in the legacy of their heroism and sacrifice may mourn their deaths and honor their memories. May we plead, O oh God, that their deaths were not in vain and pray that the nation they defended may stand 
in all coming years for things that are good, honest, just, righteous. We give you thanks this day that you know our coming and our going, our birthing and our dying, Our joys and our sorrows are embraced in the closeness of this community of faith. As this body of Christ has also been included in the embrace of your forgiveness and love, O God. We reach out to those who in the weakness of mind or body or of spirit need the ministry of your grace to be made whole. in all relationships of each day. Grant us faith. Grant us courage. Grant us the love to follow Jesus, who was the Savior for all. We pray through him who is our faith, our hope, our joy, our peace, and teaches us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Beloved church, as we seek to go out from this place, perhaps a little more aware of our smallness before the majesty and grandeur of God, let us go with the words of the hymn in our ears, Holy, Holy, Holy. Lord God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. May we go out knowing the power and majesty and love and mercy and grace of our triune God. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you, be with those you love, and be with those you are called to love, this day and forevermore. And together we say, Amen. Amen.